Well, it's wonderful to be back with you here this Sunday. It's a pleasure to be back in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Going to be in verses 11 through 14 today. And it's this section which I believe we've been given the greatest blessing that's in this first chapter. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. Listen carefully, because this is God's word for you. In him, that is Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go to our God in prayer and ask his blessing on our text today. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful passage we have out of this great letter. And we ask that you would be with us today as we explore it. Be with those who hear that our hearts would be ready to surrender and believe. And I pray that you would be with me as I bring these truths to bear. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's one thing that I have a difficult time Doing and this is something that I've inherited from my mother. It's, I'm not blaming her, this is a good thing. Is waiting all the way until birthdays or Christmas to give gifts. When I know that I have something that the person is going to enjoy, I have a very difficult time leaving it wrapped and under the tree. Especially if it's something that's going to be enjoyable and useful. It's the ultimate thing. Why wait when you can enjoy it now? Well, it turns out that God has the same character trait and that he gives gifts early. This is a wonderful thing. When you put your trust in Christ, yes, there is forgiveness of sin and the promise of heaven. These are no small things to be sure. But what is it that makes heaven heaven? It's not heaven isn't heaven because it's Clouds may get to float around, and there's our typical secular vision of what heaven is. Heaven isn't even heaven because of the absence of sin, although that's a big part of it. What makes heaven heaven is the same thing that made the Garden of Eden the Garden of Eden. It's because God was there, and he was, had his presence with his people. And that's what he gives us a foretaste of in the Holy Spirit. And that... God's Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to live within us as a promise that one day we will be in his presence forever. He promises that by saying, I will be in your presence for all of your life. That's the blessing that we get to examine here today. And it's a blessing that we don't talk about a whole lot, especially here in Reformed circles. I remember one of my seminary professors had looked at me and said, you Presbyterians have a wonderful chapter on the Holy Spirit and your doctrinal documents, and one day I hope you get to meet him. 
And it's true. It's not something we talk about a lot, even in the Apostles' Creed that we just recited. We have something about God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and his son Jesus Christ, all these, a whole, most of the creed is about our Christ. And then I believe in the Holy Spirit, and we have nothing else to say. We move right on. And part of that is because the center and focus of both the, this passage itself and the Bible as a whole is on Christ and his redemptive work. We saw, not last week, but a few weeks ago, all of the universe is going to be summed up in Christ, not the Holy Spirit. And indeed, even as in our passage that we're looking at here, Christ's work still looms large and is something worthy of our attention. But we're also going to zoom in and take a look at what is often called the forgotten member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He's not been forgotten, but perhaps a little underemphasized. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at it again in our typical structure of two points. The first is that we have the gift of inheritance in Christ. We're going to take a look at what inheritance is and what that means for us. But then the second point, where we'll spend more of our time, is that we have the guarantee of inheritance in the Holy Spirit. So let's jump in here in verse 11. Our passage begins with the words in him, which, as I mentioned, is pointing back to Jesus. And here we find out that in Christ, we have an inheritance from God. This is really quite something. We might think, well, if we are former rebels that have been adopted into the family of God, maybe we have been adopted into second-class citizenship. We're invited to stay in the house, but we're sleeping on the couch. We're invited into... Invited, into the, invited to the dinner table, but you get the scraps that are left over. That's not how the, the arrangement that we have. When God has adopted us into his family, we have an inheritance, a beautiful portrait of what is to come. Now, what is that inheritance? Well, it's heaven. It's the kingdom of God, getting to dwell with God forever. But how is this possible? It's a reminder to us in this passage and in the passages before that we've looked at, we're sinners. We're not supposed to be in God's presence. That was the whole problem back in Genesis chapter 3, if we remember. When Adam and Eve sinned, there was no more fellowship that could be had between God and humanity. Sin is utterly repulsive to God. Can't look at it. Even when his own son is bearing all of our sins, the father turns his face away, as we sang. He can't look at it. But because Christ has redeemed us, brought us this hope of glory, we now are able to be in God's presence and have that inheritance. How did this happen? Well, as we see for the rest of verses 11 and 12, it's kind of a review of what we had covered earlier in verses 3 through 10. This was possible because the Father predestined us according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will in charge of our salvation and in the rest of the world. And in verse 12, it goes on, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ because of his sacrifice might be to the praise of his glory. That phrase, first to hope in Christ, is referring to the fact that we still have a hope that's yet to come. And we're hoping in it beforehand and looking forward to this. So the Father has elected us. The Son has provided the basis for our inheriting this inheritance and given us a full assurance. But now where does the Holy Spirit come in? Well, here's where we find out, or we're going to 
look into this here in verse 13. When we have heard the word of truth, it is the gospel of salvation, believed in Christ, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The way this language works is all of this is happening simultaneously. Hear the gospel. Christ works faith in you. The Spirit works faith in you. And then we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What does this word sealed mean? There's a couple of different ways that you can look at this, uh, the way that the word sealed is used. Sealed can be in terms of being protected against, sealed away from something. You know, we talk about when you're going to put something in the freezer, you're going to seal it up with a Ziploc bag to protect it from, from, the, from, from, from freezer burns, sealing it up. And it can mean that. We are sealed away, protected from the wrath of God that's meant to come. But there's another aspect to this word sealed. It can also be in the same way that we apply a, apply a, a logo to a product, lets you know who is the one that owns this product. And it's the same thing here. And the Holy Spirit, when he has sealed us, it shows that we are gods. We are owned by the Father. We, as one commentator put it, bear the family resemblance. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And when we get to verse 14, we see what this sealing does for us. In verse 14, it says that he is the guarantee of our inheritance. What does this word mean? Well, guarantee could also be translated down payment. We're a very mistrusting society when it comes to large purchases. If you're going to buy a house, you need to have and put some money up front to let the buyers know or the banks know that you're serious about this purchase. You're going to put something down. Or if you're going to propose marriage, that you have a ring in your hand, if you're a guy, and saying, it's like, this is something that I'm serious about. This is something I want to go through with and have thought about. Well, amazingly, God operates by the same convention. He doesn't have to. His word is sure. We have 2,000 years of evidence that the Lord has always followed through on his promises. Even if they're hundreds of years in the making, the Lord always follows through. But what he's giving to us is actually quite a big deal. It's one thing to promise land, to promise real estate to the Israelites. I mean, that's a big promise, but it seems like that's pretty possible. But here what he is promising us is eternal life in the presence of God forever and ever. That's a really big idea. That's a massive inheritance that we're just being promised to us. So instead what he does is he sends his Holy Spirit, which is really quite remarkable. Usually when you're going to put a down payment on something, you pay it with with money or you know, a ring or something like that. Here, the Lord is, how do you pledge and guarantee presence with God forever? What is he going to give you? He can't give you. Like, money doesn't seem like that big of a thing yet. So he gives you himself. He pledges himself, plants himself into you, sends the third member of the Trinity as the evidence that you are his. So how do you know that you have it? How do you know that you have this promised Holy Spirit? Let's get practical on that for a moment. The Holy Spirit is going to have an effect on your life that should be noticeable both to you and to others who are around you. 
If you are in the habit of your daily morning coffee and you suddenly forget it one morning, you will notice the effects. Known some people who accidentally put decaf in their pot and they called in sick because they thought they were terribly ill because they had missed their dose of coffee. This is just a small molecule and the effect that it has on us. How much more should the effect of the Holy Spirit be on us? There should be a change. So what does that change look like? Well, Paul gives us a handy list. Just a couple pages back out of Ephesians and into Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Six, uh, 16 and following. In fact, we're, we're just going to zoom in on verse 22. And notice here, any time this verse is brought up, Pastor Reader always makes the note that this is talking about the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. And the reason why he makes that particular distinction is that all of these things should be present in us in one way, shape, or form. We don't get to pick. It's like, well, I'm... I'm better at the love and peace, but not so much the patience and kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is not multiple choice. All of these things need to be present in our lives. Now, are they all going to be equally present? No. There are some dispositions that are more easily geared towards kindness. Some things will be naturally easier. Gentleness is easier on somebody who would rather not rock the boat. But all of these things should be present. So what are they? It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all the things that should be present in our lives. That's really quite remarkable. When we talk about the effects of the Holy Spirit, and we can tend to think, well, the Holy Spirit is the one when, when he comes down, wild things happen. People are raised from the dead. They start talking in languages that they don't know. That's not really all that impressive. What's impressive is you take somebody who is, doesn't have these things and becomes those things. Someone who had no self-control, who has self-control now, that's a miracle. Holiness is one of the greatest evidences that you are in Christ. The greatest evidence that you have the Holy Spirit in your life is these qualities that are present here. Because those just don't pop up all at once, all in the same person, just naturally. This is a much bigger evidence that you are His. These are things you can't manufacture on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. Rarely do I find in those that are missing these qualities, they're missing these qualities because of a lack of information. We all know we're supposed to have self-control. We all know we're supposed to be gentle and kind. We all know we're supposed to have joy and peace. We need the Holy Spirit to make these things in our lives. So if you see some of these qualities are missing, or you see, it's like, well, I have the first two down, but those others, I need a little bit more work on. You need to go to the Holy Spirit. You need to ask Him for His help. Lean into the power that Christ has already given to you as a means of making those things that way. It's dependence on the Holy Spirit is what produces that. Trying to manufacture things yourself is usually what gets you in trouble. 
and just saying, well, I guess I'll just try harder. Doing the same thing that got you in trouble is not going to get you back out of it. It's doing something different. It's relying on the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? It looks like you're telling yourself, I am weak, but he is strong. It's telling yourself, I need to be in this word. I need to have prayer in my life. I need the Holy Spirit, and I need his help. I can't do this on my own. Now, it is important to note that there is a certain amount of patience as we await these fruits. And as we work on these things, it's very rare, though it does happen, that massive life change occurs instantaneously. Some people are wonderfully delivered from addictions of all kinds when they come to Christ. For others, it is a years-long struggle against besetting sins. But we should see progress. This is sometimes where we, when we see progress, it's best to look at it in terms of months or years. You can think about this really practically to say, it's like, how am I growing in holiness? Think about where you were last year versus where you are this year. Are you holier this year than you were last? Bear in mind, it also may be part of your holiness is realizing how sinful you are. Looking back and seeing new areas that you, didn't even, that you weren't even aware were sins last year, but you are aware now. That's progress. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be things that are better or worse. But there will be a general trend, a general direction towards holiness. That's the best and only test that you have the Holy Spirit. There's no scanner. There's no card that you signed. There is no other proof that the Holy Spirit is in your life other than a change in your life. That's what he's promised. That's the guarantee. Indeed, that's one of the greatest ministries of the Holy Spirit is preparing us for heaven. I'm reading this book by J.C. Ryle on holiness, but highly commended to you. Very convicting, but very well-written book. And talks about that that's what the Holy Spirit does is prepare us for heaven. And And it prepares us by making us holy. As if we don't desire being with God's people now, then we're not going to desire that when we're in heaven. If we, we don't desire the worship of God now, what makes us think we would enjoy it in heaven? But this is exactly what the Holy Spirit is preparing us for, pulling back each of those layers that our flesh has on us, those rebellious thoughts that we have, those lazy, self-contented desires that we have, pulling them back day by day, week by week, year by year. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I think this is one of the greatest gifts of all. Because it prepares us for an inheritance that's yet to come. So what do we take away from this? What do we take away from this passage? And really, as we close out this particular section, we'll be moving into the next section of thanksgiving and prayer from Paul next time. But here, as we examine these verses 3 through 14, what we have learned is that salvation is, has involved the entire Trinity. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all working together to bring about your salvation. That looks like giving to us an inheritance where we will enjoy heaven forever and ever. And that's been guaranteed to us by the Holy Spirit. 
who really does leave his mark, who really does change us and makes us more like him. So what that tells us is God's not going to give up on you. He's done a lot to make your salvation possible. So the only appropriate response is praise and obedience to him. Not to earn these things, but as evidence that these things have occurred. But if you walk away from this week saying, it's like, well, a lot of times I don't feel like that the Lord has been doing this work in my life. Take this, take this time to examine your life. What does it look like? And be careful about being guided by feelings, but instead guide your feelings with truth. See if there are any areas of disobedience in your life. If you look hard enough, you will find something. And that if you do find that there's a lot of disobedience in your life, then there's not going to be a whole lot of feelings of assurance. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will pull back that assurance of your salvation to get you right, put you back on the right path. In all of these cases, whatever we do, we remind ourselves of the gospel, the great blessings that we've been given here, and continue to ask the Holy Spirit to help us in our lives. That's what we take away from this. The Holy Spirit's ministry is a confirming one to tell us that the salvation that we have been given has really been given to us and to continue to prepare us for that glorious day when that salvation is fully revealed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this gift of the Holy Spirit that you've given to us. A marker, a true evidence of your presence among us to transform us into who you want us to be. So I pray that all of us would lean more on this Holy Spirit. That we would not look to ourselves for strength, but that we would look to you. Lord, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.